Well, it's wonderful to be with you all this morning and to continue in what I gather has been a summer in the Psalms, at least intermittently, and we'll continue that this morning. I'm going to be looking at Psalms 103 and 104, and as we begin, as you open a Bible or pull out a screen and turn to that, I'm going to read from Psalm 103 verses 1 through 6 and 15 through 17. And then from Psalm 104, verses 24 to 30 and 33 to 35. The other verses aren't bad, but I want to respect your time and get to it. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here's the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're destroyed. When you take away that breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. O Lord, we pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable unto you. For you alone, Lord, have the words of life. Where else shall we go? And so we turn now to you, asking that your steadfast love and faithfulness, your great grace and mercy would be displayed in caring for each of us, in strengthening all of us, and in sending your people out on your mission. For it's in Jesus' risen name we do pray. Amen. Well, as was just mentioned in that wonderful prayer, a school year has either just begun or is just about to begin, and that brings with it certain rhythms and protocols. One of them for many is, if like me, uh, who's worn either contacts or glasses since he was in second grade, uh, you might be going to get that annual checkup to see if the prescription is, is still quite doing it or if there needs to be a, a tweak, and adjustment so that you're ready for all that's before you in a, a new year. 
I suspect if you found that as you were driving, as you were reading, or as you were watching a screen, that you couldn't make out things, that you were having to, to get closer, that you were having to stress your eyes, you would go and you would get them checked out. You would find a prescription that adjusts them and helps you rightly perceive what's going on around you. I suspect further that it's not just your eyes. If other senses were off, you would seek out a recalibration. I know this year that if that sense of smell or of taste started to seem low, you would not sit at home. You would do something about it. You would seek out testing and care and provision, seeking health and wholeness again. Well, brothers and sisters, we have not just physical senses to be alert to, but what Christians have spoken of through the ages as spiritual senses, which can go awry and which are necessary to alert us to God and all he's doing. And it's my hope this morning as we turn to these two psalms and reflect very briefly on each that your spiritual senses might begin to seem all the more important. And more importantly, that by the end of our time together, you might appreciate that praying the Psalms, not just hearing the occasional sermon or reading a Psalm every now and then, but actually going through the rhythm of praying the Psalms yourself is one of God's great therapies for spiritual senses that have gone awry. And so I want to explore that idea of what would it mean for you or for me to take up these words and pray them on the regular. Now the Psalter is huge. It's the largest book of the Bible. There are 150 psalms in it, and they, they cover the whole range of experience, happy moments and sad seasons, laments and love songs. They touch on it all. I want to suggest that there are two major things that are found as we seek to pray or to sing these psalms. That the psalms are given to us to help us give voice first to all of life before God. We often hesitate to think that we might do that. Oh, there are places we can talk to God, but there are others where certainly it's inappropriate or it's just not prudent. But the Psalter shows us that we can name the totality of our experience before God, that gives us comfortable words that beckon us to name our experience, all of it, before our God and Father, the creator and maker of all things. Secondly, the Psalms are given not just to give us words for what we already feel and sense and struggle with, but they're also given to prick our attention, to alert our perception to draw us to be mindful of that which we would overlook, that which we have missed, that which we continue to struggle with. They are challenging as a summons to draw us into the path of repentance and transformation by God's grace. So I want to explore those two ways in which the Psalms serve our souls and carry us on this spiritual pilgrimage that is the Christian life. So first, Psalm 103 as comfortable words. Psalm 103 as comfortable words. Psalm 103 comes in 22 lines, one beginning with each of the 22 characters of the Hebrew alphabet. Just take my word for it at the moment. Any reader or hearer of this 
would have caught that it, it, it attempts to address all of life. Right there in its very structure, it's getting at the totality of all that can be said and spoken, taking up every character, every experience before God. Not only that, but it focuses our attention on certain things. We saw it earlier this morning as the call to worship came from Psalm 145, the language of the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord. That is front and center here as well. The idea that God has steadfast love and God is faithful. And those are key notions that are rooted deep in Israel's history. If you'll remember in Exodus, God has heard the cries of his people. He's seen their plight. He's come down. He's intervened. He's brought them out of Egypt. Gosh, he walked them through a lake, as it were. And then on the other side, they start to grumble. And not only that, but they... They decide to fashion a golden calf and worship it, and they're, they're presumably going to try and head back to Egypt, not to continue on patiently the way God is calling them. And God there has to be prayed to. Moses has to intercede on behalf of the sinful people in Exodus 32 and 33. And God relents, and he won't destroy them, and he won't leave them, and he promises to continue on with them. And Moses is told that God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. In the midst of that great treachery, that most brutal of sins, just as they've been given freedom and liberty by the Lord to spurn him and go their own way, even there in the worst moment of their failure, God has steadfast love and faithfulness. God's steadfast love and faithfulness tell us not simply that God is good and he can hook people up, not simply that God is powerful and that no circumstance is beyond his might. It tells us that that is applicable in all circumstances, in all situations, when I'm at my worst just as much as when I'm in my Sunday best. And that was pertinent to the psalmist. It appears here in Psalm 103, the steadfast love and the faithfulness of our Lord, because the Psalms have been addressing a problem. The, the Psalter is broken up into five books, as it were, and there's an order and a logic to them. And the end of book three in Psalm 89 is the darkest moment of the entire Psalter. Most churches don't sing this. It gets really, really dark. Where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? It's a lament. It's an expression of seeming God-forsakenness. That not only is the world not as it should be, not only are we struggling in ways that we'd think we'd grown past, but that it seems that there's no promise or hope. And it names it as a question. Where is your steadfast love? Where is your faithfulness? And friends, one of the great gifts of the fourth book of the Psalter, beginning in Psalm 90 and running through Psalm 106, is that those two questions are answered. And they're answered in Psalm 103 and in passages before and after. God does have steadfast love and God is always faithful. And the psalmist knew how important this was because it's one thing when you're in a, a feisty religious service where you're 
you're feeling transcendence to believe that God is good, it's a very different thing when you feel as though you've stumbled again or you feel as though the world is spinning out of control or you feel as though you don't even know what to pray for, what the way out of the hole would be to know that God is faithful and that God's love is steadfast there too. And so that's what we find in this psalm. It repeats this affirmation in verse 8 and verse 17 that God has steadfast love. It recounts his faithfulness in verse 11 and verse 13 and then especially in verse 17. And not only that, but it underlines something about you and me. God is steadfastly loving and God is ever faithful. And you and I, we are told that we're prone to forget. And so it goes on to tell us that we need to remember. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. My children know that when I say don't forget, that I'm assuming that they, like me, are prone to forget. Right? Steve might tell you. That's true of students as well, I don't know. But uh, we are reminded here of the significance of remembering God's faithfulness and his steadfast love. Not only that, verse 14 tells us this beautiful truth. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Friends, not only are we called to remember God's steadfast love and faithfulness, But we are told here in Psalm 103.14, God remembers us. God remembers us not at our moment of birth in some situation of delight and innocence, not in our high points and our achievements, not the, the pictures that we parade on social media. God remembers that we are dust. He remembers our frame. In other words, God knows and does not forget your need. God is aware and does not overlook your dependence. God knows you to be a creature. We are invited here to join the Lord in recognizing that truth, that we have come from dust and we shall return to dust, and that we need the Lord who is steadfastly loving and faithful if we are to make it in the meanwhile. So I want to ask you this question. As you hear that from Psalm 103, comfortable words reminding us that all of life is remembered by God. All of our being is known by God. Where's that place where you feel you can't go? Where's that nook or cranny in yourself and your story? Where is that circumstance or relationship where you feel you can't bring that business before the Lord. We all struggle in shame or fear or anxiety, wondering if I name that, if I say that, if I address that, that'll be the end. He'll think differently of me. He'll turn from me. He'll dismiss me. Friends, the God who turned toward Israel after the golden calf and spoke his steadfast love and faithfulness to them, he beckons you to remember what he tells us he remembers, that we are dust and we are to name that before him. Psalm 103 offers us comfortable words that whatever we experience, whatever turmoil, whatever overwhelmedness, 
whatever fear, whatever anxiety, whatever deep regret we experience, that can be named before God. God's word provides us God's way to talk about that before him, that it might be addressed, that he might bear our burdens, that he might carry our concerns, that he might free us from our many fears. We are dust, but we're made for glory, and God remembers that and invites us through the Psalms to name each and every circumstance, each and every situation. We've heard and sung this morning of God's rule over all creation. More on that in a moment. That there's, as sometimes is said, not one square inch of all of this, but that God claims it as Lord. And that's very true. It's equally true, friends, to remember that there is not one nook or cranny of yourself, but that Christ wants to claim that as Lord and Redeemer too. There is no shadow, there is no recess deep in your heart, but that he longs to bring healing grace, that he longs to be, bring resurrecting power. And Psalm 103 reminds us that God's word gives us comfortable words knowing we can, with boldness and confidence, as Hebrews puts it, enter into his presence and speak our situation unto him. But that's not all we find. Psalm 104 follows. Psalm 104 follows, and it's going to offer instead a challenging summons to each of us. Now, I I should say, first of all, why are we talking about two psalms this morning? These two psalms are a couplet. They go together. They each begin and end with this summons, this command, bless the Lord, or bless the Lord, O my soul. Unique among all the psalms, they plainly go together. And not only do they go together, but they go in sequence. As we've talked about, it's the beginning of a school year, and this is where we... We're reminded of the importance of sequence. As kids have gone back in the last week or two to classes, where do they begin but in reviewing what they're supposed to have learned last year? If if you didn't do well in Spanish 1, Spanish 2 is probably not going to go much better, right? If you didn't learn the basics of vocabulary, the notion of actually understanding sentences and paragraphs is probably not going to pan out well for you. There are certain things you've got to learn first before you get to others. And that's true in Scripture as well. The Acts of the Apostles doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you look at what Luke first gave us in the Gospel according to Luke, where you hear of this Jesus, of his life, of his coming, of his suffering death and his glorious resurrection, and then him departing into the clouds in Acts 1 isn't so strange. It makes sense. And all the story of his work through his church in the rest of the book of Acts, it fits the character displayed in that earlier gospel. Well, friends, similarly, we see Psalm 103 comes before Psalm 104. Psalm 103 offers six commands to bless the Lord, to offer blessing and praise unto the Lord. It does so in that 22 character structure bless the lord in all circumstances bless the lord in every situation but the attentive hearer or reader would notice something is missing 
Six is a weird number in the Bible. Many of you will know that the number seven is the number of completeness or of perfection, of wholeness. See it most obviously, of course, in the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 1 tells us of six days where things are done and what has to happen, but it's followed by a seventh day where there is rest and order and where all is well. Later, when God is fashioning and founding his temple, six days of work are followed by what? A a seventh word, a seventh day, where his glory rushes in and all is as it should be. Psalm 103 calls us six times to bless the Lord wherever you are and whatever's going on. And so we would be trained to say, well, what's next? And Psalm 104 offers that final blessing. It commands us to bless the Lord in a final way. It begins and ends in offering that seventh call to bless the Lord. It draws our eyes outward, not just looking at ourselves and our struggle, but at this world and the universe much more broadly. We've been trained by Psalm 103 that we can take any of our circumstances to God and bless him. Psalm 104 tells us that having done so, we can now start to look at the wider world with new eyes, with refashioned hearts, and we can begin to bless the Lord as we we look in that wider angle lens. Centuries ago, John Calvin spoke of Holy Scripture saying that it was like a pair of lenses, contact lenses or eyeglasses. He called them spectacles, of course. But he said, Scripture is something that you don't simply look at. You look at it, you study it carefully, you listen to it being read and and taught, and you read it, if you can, with the greatest of, of commitment and concern and prayerfulness. But ultimately, Scripture is meant to be looked through. It's a pair of lenses so that you can see the world and you can see yourself and you can see God rightly. And we don't rightly see things. Now, that's not unique to our spiritual senses or perceptions. Probably you, like me, from time to time feel a little under the weather. And so you might give it a day and see if it improves. But then if if some ailment is bothering you, you do what responsible people do. You check WebMD. And you put up your various symptoms and you see which and what maladies are obviously the root cause of this. Right? And this always gives great comfort and peace, does it not? Right? Uh, I have a, a mother, a wonderful mother, who is a lifelong member of the WebMD club. And I'm reminded of once when she uh, had me on the phone and she was telling me about this malady she was suffering and struggling to pronounce the name and so forth. It was pretty new, but it explained all the different symptoms she'd had. And I had not heard of this one before, so she's going onto the computer and looking it up as she's talking to me. And suddenly she realizes that she has not been on WebMD, she's been on a veterinarian site and diagnosed herself with a canine condition right? Now that's a little more extreme, but isn't it true that so often our sense of what's going on is off? 
so often our sense of what is amiss is completely inaccurate. We don't just lack the power to deliver on what we know needs to happen. We so often are aiming in the wrong direction. And God's word, Calvin says, is like a pair of lenses to grant clarity of vision so that we can understand the world around us, the self and God himself. Now, we live in a day and an age where, if we're honest, we are trained 24-7 in all sorts of ways to not think of God when we look at the wider world. I had on the news this morning, there were stories about foreign countries, struggles, as we've heard this morning in Haiti and Afghanistan and elsewhere. I did not hear the name of the Holy Trinity mentioned from any of the multiple channels I flipped across. And you turn to local news, and you'll hear of different things, of things starting up at UCF, of big events in town, of various closures and openings. And again, we are trained to talk about things without mentioning God. We are, in other words, secularized. We are taught to think simply about what's going on as Ecclesiastes puts it under the sun. What's immediately apparent to our eyes and our senses. And doesn't that affect us? We could talk about the Enlightenment world, we could talk about the wider culture, but let's talk about the way that shapes each and every one of us. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters voices the fact that the devil doesn't need to convince you that God is bad, the devil simply needs to distract you from the fact that God is present. And isn't are being secularized simply the remarkably subtle power with which we are prone to distraction. We are so alert to the tyranny of the urgent. We are so overwhelmed by the empirical data of the immediate, what our eyes see, what our ears hear, that being mindful of God, it just seems distant from ordinary life. Not that we would deny it, but that we would forget it. And friends, Psalm 104 pricks our attention. It alerts our perception to look up above the sun. Just a few verses we'll look at very briefly. Verse 24 tells us gloriously of the manifold variety of all God's works. The earth that is full of his creatures he made them all in his wisdom, and he made them to be manifold and various. He is involved all over the place if we would only have eyes to see it. He is present in every circumstance if only we would have the sense to know it. And it goes on. Verses 29 and 30 tell us that we depend on God for our very being. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they're created and you renew the face of the ground. Our very existence is owing to God. We did not make ourselves. We are not our own best idea. We are a gift. Our life is a precious grace owing ultimately to God alone. But not just our existence or being, our sustenance and our continued life is also God's doing. 
verses 27 and 28. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. How often do we think that I purchase the food, I cook the meal, I provide dinner? How often do we forget that God is the one from whom all good things come? Every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father of lights. God who gives me the resources to purchase food. God who gives me the aptitude and ability to prepare a meal. God who provides a restaurant who are able to do those things on my behalf. How often is it that we are distracted and we fail to see through the immediate circumstance? And Psalm 104 wants to alert you. It wants to prompt you. It wants to draw your gaze upward so that you don't fall into that forgetfulness. You don't stay in that secularized posture that you think beyond and you look above. And so I ask you here too, in what part of life, in what area are you simply looking at what's right in front of you? Where is it that this psalm would call you to look through that circumstance, to look above that reality, to look beyond the immediate, to see that ultimately it's God's doing, ultimately it's God's provision, ultimately, and perhaps mysteriously, it's God's plan that he is there. He is involved. He is displaying that steadfast love and faithfulness. He is in those manifold works, remembering us and working on our behalf. Psalm 104 is meant to be a challenging summons. Perhaps no one gives voice to this summons as one of my favorite novelists, Marilyn Robinson, in her Pulitzer Prize winning novel, Gilead, speaking through the voice of the soon-to-die pastor, Reverend John Ames, she says this, the whole world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring anything to it except a little willingness to see. Only who would have the courage to see? Friends, the world does shine like transfiguration. God is gloriously at work here in our city and around the globe in all sorts of ways. And God wants to prick your perception. God wants to draw your attention and alert you to what he is doing, that we might give thanks for his provision, that we might intercede for his further care, that we might give praise and, yes, blessing for who he is displayed to be in those circumstances. So we see two psalms speaking to the totality of life, the life of the soul and the life of this broader world or cosmos. Two psalms that give us words to speak what we fear we can't and give us a summons to see what we didn't think what was important. If you, like me, can hear of that and realize, okay, yes, sometimes there are things I left unsaid. And just like I may not bring up something with a coworker at the office, 
because I just don't think it's going to be terribly profitable, so I leave it unsaid. Sometimes I do that with the Lord Almighty. I think he doesn't want to hear that. He doesn't want to know that I'm going through that. And so we leave it be. And we have a promise that there are words that can be voiced. There are ways to bless the Lord even in that situation, whatever it may be. That gives us great comfort. But friends, I hope you also feel that there are things that we've overlooked. There are glorious works of God that we have missed for whatever reason. There are cases where we are so distracted by the urgent and the immediate that we see nothing but the apparent. And God wants to summon us to attention, to perception, and ultimately to prayer and praise. And that's a challenge. That's a great gift of God's word, that he would not leave us as we are, but he would help us to practice resurrection day by day. Well, how can you actually not just hear a brief encouragement from Scripture, but begin to refine your spiritual senses? How can you, as a Christian man or woman, go about the daily task of growing attentiveness in seeing what God is doing around you and increasing fluency in voicing it and blessing the Lord in all circumstances? I want to commend to you that this summer hopefully won't simply be a journey where you hear through different psalms, but also an encouragement that the psalms are meant to be a toolkit for you. The psalms are meant to be a spiritual, perceptional toolkit that you can put to use. I would, I would say as a word of testimony that aside from weekly keeping of Sabbath, nothing has been so significant for me over the last two decades in good times and in some really terrible times as the daily practice of praying the psalms and knowing that I can turn here when I don't know where to turn at all and knowing that I can speak this to my God and Savior when I fear that I can't speak to him of whatever's going on in my circumstance. I want to just briefly say, what would that mean to pray the psalms and practically how can you do it? What would it mean? It would mean praying through one or more psalms, slowly and meditatively paying attention and simply pausing when it draws out from you words about your life and the lives of those around you that you need to voice to God. Now, it needn't mean that somehow, like many monks, you're going to go through the entire Psalter every week and you're going to devote hours upon hours to praying every word and phrase. It, it needn't mean that. I want to invite you to a, a much more low-hanging fruit of suggesting that it gives you words, words to prompt and words to begin and words then to encourage you to offer other words. Just as many of us might pray the Lord's Prayer, pausing after a line, thinking of ways in which it, it actually defines our situation and it draws out of us a whole flood of thoughts, of fears, of delights that we want to name before God. So praying the Psalms will strike us in different ways where different 
phrases, different lines, different truths will be pertinent to you in that day. That's God's grace. It'll comfort you that you can say it before God. It'll challenge you that you need to ask, why do I not find this part? Why do I not find this to connect with my life? Where does this summon me to repent and to change? Where does this want to draw my attention to what I am clearly not interested in at the moment? So friends, it, it's simply the practice of reading and pausing and praying as you're prompted by words and phrases in the Psalter. How can you do it? Uh, I'm not suggesting that somehow this afternoon you work through 100 plus pages of the Psalms. The simplest way, if you've never done this, is to take up one Psalm per day. At whatever time is, is a time where you're going to be likely to be thoughtful and to lean in. Whether that's when you wake or at noonday as you recalibrate and try and regain equilibrium in the midst of the busyness and perhaps the struggle, or at day's end as you seek to examine your day and try and recap it in a, a Godward sense. Take one psalm per day. Work chronologically through the Psalter. Easiest way to keep track of where you are. There are bolder ways to go about it where you can pray the whole Psalter in a month or even in a week. Those, those are for the experienced, perhaps. The simplest way is to begin with Psalm 1, to receive it as God's gift to you this day, that God wants to invite you to know that you can say certain things and you can bless His name in every area of life. And here's a prompt to help. And that God wants to grow you up in Jesus Christ, as Ephesians says. God wants to mature you. God wants to mature your palate. And that's going to take the form of God challenging you by drawing your attention to things you would otherwise overlook. Just like a dashboard reminds me, I don't really care about tire pressure, but occasionally it tells me I've got to pay attention to it. And so it is that God's word draws our attention to things that ought to matter, even if we're prone to overlook. And so you can simply take up a single psalm a day and pray your way through it, reading it, pausing, allowing it to give voice to your and the world's circumstance, blessing the name of the Lord. Let's turn to God and pray, asking that he would even now bless us and care for us. Lord, we think of David, we think of Jesus, we think of the martyrs and the many saints, all those who've gone before us and all those who are around us now. You delight to hear their prayers. You remember our frame that we are dust. You are not ashamed to provide and you are not embarrassed by our need. So often we are. Help us, Lord, to lean into being creatures, or in other words, help us to delight in living by faith, faith in you, trust in your steadfast love, reliance on your faithfulness, not just when we feel steady and aware and in control, but perhaps especially when we feel overwhelmed. We pray, Lord, that you would give us your word that we would not only read and mark, but we would learn and inwardly digest it, that it might shape our love and that our love might lead to the praise and blessing of your name. For it's in that great name, the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
that we do pray. Amen.